Hello Booktopians, I'm Sarah McDooling and I am delighted to be speaking today with Leanne Moriarty, the loved and best-selling author of many books, including Big Little Lies, Nine Little Strangers and the soon-to-be-published Apples Never Fall. Leanne, welcome. Thank you so much, Sarah. It's lovely to be here. I'm really, really excited to chat with you. I'm lucky enough to have read Apples Never Fall. I will tread really carefully so that we avoid spoilers. Thank you. <laughs> um, to that end, for the people who, who haven't been lucky enough to, to read this yet, as it's, it's not out, <laughs> um, can you tell a little bit about what they can expect in Apples Never Fall? Uh, so it's the story of Joy and Stan Delaney, who are retired tennis coaches, and what happens when Joy goes missing and Stan is the chief suspect in her possible murder and her four adult children have to deal with the terrible possibility that uh, their father may have murdered their mother. And it's about sibling rivalry and relationships and betrayal and uh, deceit and tennis. <laughs> <laughs> Um, where would you say the first little spark for this story came from? Uh, oh, I've got a really long answer, sorry, to that, uh, that question because there are actually a few little sparks. So I'll start, with, um, I'll start with the year of joy, which was what I was calling 2019, fortunately not 2020. So I had decided... I may even, last time I saw you, I may even have mentioned it, I'm not sure, that um, after I finished Nine Perfect Strangers, I was saying I'm going to have a year off and I'm going to call it the year of joy. It was a highly self-indulgent idea because it was um, meant to be a year all about me and my joy. Um, and that it was just that I'd been having a book out every second year and I decided I was going to take uh, ask for longer so it's going to be this book's um, three years since my last book um, and I decided in that year that I would uh, read poetry and listen to music um, uh, and I had visions of myself you know uh, just you know just doing everything for um, finding out if I had a soul uh, and <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then I did want to write I, I just didn't want to start a new novel and so I asked my sister Jackie who is the author as you know is the author Jacqueline Moriarty to send me some writing prompts and she actually sent me a prompt just a little just a three-line text and it described a bike lying on the grass underneath a tree with some apples lying next to the bike uh, and as you would know that actually became the opening scene of the book. So instead of writing, you know, I was meant to write a little piece from it, I just immediately started writing uh, a novel. So in a way it was lovely that I did discover in this year of joy that what does bring me joy is writing novels. Um, so that was the one spark. The second spark is that like joy, uh, my husband also gave me some fancy headphones. Uh, and so I got into podcasts. I got into podcasts a little bit late. And like most people, I started with a number of uh, true crime podcasts. So I'm sure that's what then sparked this idea of the, um, the, the missing mother. Uh, and the third spark was an article I read about an elderly couple who 
late at night, a young woman knocked on their door and said she needed help and they let her in and let her stay the, stay the night. And there was a resulting criminal case which had uh, nothing to do with um, what I then uh, wrote for Apples Never Fall. But again, that was a little spark. So I knew I had a missing mother. I knew somebody had knocked on the door late at night. I had no idea how. And I had no idea how the bike and my... Um, the apples um, all came together and then those three sparks um, came together to form the book. And from that we got this amazing novel which I read pretty much in one go. I couldn't put it down and I read it in a high state of um, anxiety is the wrong word because it makes it sound bad. Just like complete curiosity to figure out not only, you know, who had done the thing, but what the thing was. Mm. And I wondered, you know, how was that for you, writing not just like a whodunit, but a, a what happened at the same time? Um, yes, well, it's like all my books, I definitely didn't plan it. So I had no idea. So Joy Delaney has gone missing. I didn't know where she was. I didn't know what had happened to her. I didn't know how that tied together with um, this young woman. So her name's Savannah, who knocks on the door. I didn't know how that came together. So that anxiety um, that you describe, I also have as a writer. Uh, uh, so I always say that it's a fun way to write, not planning, because I sit down at my desk and I think I wonder what's going to happen today. Um, but it's also a scary way to write because I sit down and I think I hope something's going to happen today. Um, so, yeah, it's exciting, wondering. Uh, and I'm just working it out as I, as, I go, as I go along. It fascinates me because it's so intricate and comes together so well in this, like, grand conclusion. It amazes me that you didn't have it all planned out before you start writing. No, but, and I also, I, I honestly don't, but I also always want to make it clear, especially to uh, writers who might be um, listening, that that doesn't mean that it just all falls perfectly <laughs> into place as I write. Um, it's just that I'm, as I'm writing, I, I prefer just to write a scene. So I have Joy and Stan there just late at night and through writing I'm thinking about them um, and I'm waiting for the knock on the door uh, and so then as I'm writing, I'm thinking, so what could it be? And so I always have a separate document called Things I Need to Fix. So as I work it out, mm -hmm. then I know I'm going to have to go back and put in signposts, certain things. I'm going to need to change things because now I know how it's going to end. Certain things will no longer work. Um, so Stan, for example, doesn't have a... He refuses to use mobile phones. Um, but that's something that I came to late. So early on in the book, he, he does use his, he's sitting there in bed reading his phone. So you've got to go back and change certain things along the way. Um, and some things in this book, especially, I wrote just as part of background for a character. And then I didn't uh, realise until later that I could make them become significant. So I love it when that happens because then it feels like it's happened organically. Um, and you don't have to then go back and sort of shove a jigsaw piece into your, into your story. Um, but it's definitely, I always feel 
envious if I hear authors who say, and I just sat there and it all just poured through me. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't really happen like that. There are magical moments where it's in, you know, the characters start talking and the writing's going well and you get into that zone, but it definitely doesn't just pour out of me. It's Turns out cool. writing is, you know, hard work. <laughs> yes, yes, there are days, the days when it's really hard work. So especially in the beginning, there's a lot of flailing about and thinking, I, I, don't, I don't know these characters, I don't understand, I don't know how this is all going to come together. Um, yeah, but as I say, there are, are wonderful moments along the way. Well, as, as with most people at the top of their game, you make a, a thing that is quite difficult look effortless, which kind of dovetails into my next question, which is that the Delaney family um, could have been musical prodigies or they might have been golfers. They, uh, why, what drew you to make them tennis players um, in particular? <laughs> Yes, yes, they could have been, you're right, they could have been any of those things. Um, so I definitely did not set to, out to write a book about tennis. I had that premise um, and I probably started writing those early chapters before I knew exactly who they were, except that I knew I wanted them to have a family business, really just so that I didn't have to send them off to work each day. So it's always you're just trying to keep your characters in one place. So, you know, with Nine Perfect Strangers where I have them in a, in a resort, it's so convenient that they're all there. Uh, so I remember thinking I'll, I'll have um, them running a family business. And I was actually having a tennis lesson um, because my son is um, becoming quite a good tennis player, not like the Delaney children. I'm not expecting <laughs> to be at Wimbledon one day. Uh, but I was having a lesson trying to just... Um, get myself good enough to play against him because he can beat me now. Uh, and I thought to myself, I know I'll make them, I'll make the Delaney's uh, tennis coaches. And so I had that in my mind, but then it's funny, um, then I start to think about it and then I thought, oh, no, I guess if they're tennis coaches, they're really into tennis, <laughs> obviously. So I'm now going to have to learn about tennis and I guess if they're into tennis, maybe they used to play maybe they wanted their children to be tennis players and so then as a result of that um, all all sorts of storylines then came out of the tennis theme and also because then I started talking to uh, tennis coaches and to uh, and to my own tennis coach now and to um, former tennis players and then things that they say then sparked other storylines so then especially the competitive players uh, I just got a new understanding of the level of sacrifice that goes into tennis and how um, and, and just maybe start to think about what happens if you have the talent and you have the dedication and then you don't make it which obviously is for the vast majority of all these really talented players so that again became a really important um, part of the, the book um, I wanted to ask, have you felt as a writer any kind of extra pressure or any differences now post the huge popularity of Big Little Lies and now also Nine Perfect Strangers? Has it sort of changed the way you write or has it um, had an effect in some way? It definitely hasn't changed the way I write. I know I'm writing um, as I've always written. But having said that, I know people 
don't believe me. Um, <laughs> I know. Um, anyway, and also I will fact-check myself in that with Nine Perfect Strangers, uh, when I was writing that book, um, because we were working on season two of um, Big Little Lies at the time, uh, and so I do remember thinking, and so um, the producers of Big Little Eyes were saying, so what are you writing about? And in the same way that I would with anybody, I was asking them about, have you ever been to a health resort? Um, so whatever I'm writing about, I'm always asking the people around me mm. trying to get material. So, you know, if I was still writing Apples Never Fall Now, I'd be saying, are you a tennis player? Um, and I did it automatically with a podcast I did recently where she said she played competitive tennis and I felt that involuntary desire to say, tell me, give me your material. Um, so I so I knew um, that the producers of Big Little Lies were interested in what I was writing and I remember thinking to myself, so for Nicole Kidman, I remember thinking, well, as of now, I, there is no role for you um, but then I had um, so I had the original director of Tranquillum House was a short bald man called Gregory um, but I had uh, I knew I had to use a character's name so Maria I can't pronounce it properly Demichenko um, uh, otherwise known as Masha uh, and I knew I had to use her name for a character in my book so I remember thinking um, actually, I'll, ch I'll change this Gregory to this wonderful Russian name. And so this um, character becomes suddenly a, a, a charismatic, tall Russian. And then I do remember thinking to myself, oh, there you are, Nicole. Wow. There's a role for you. Um, so to fact check myself and thinking that I never write for television, that I did think, okay, you could play this role. But I definitely didn't change the way otherwise that I wrote uh, so, for example, in Nine Perfect Strangers, you know, the part of that retreat is a silent retreat. So if I was writing for television, I obviously would not have pages and pages with no dialogue for the characters. Yeah. Um, but with Apples Never Fall, absolutely. <clears throat> I wrote it um, with, I wasn't casting as I went. But that's the difference now that I know uh, some readers, even readers, are casting as they go. Um, so in a way, I'll, uh, that's just the, the way it is. And I'm not, it's, um, a tiny price to pay because I obviously the adaptations have brought me so many more readers and have been a, a huge perk of the, the job. Um, but I do love the fact that, um, normally, um, readers bring their own, their own experiences to it. So it's not so much they're, they're imagining it on the screen that they've got their own imagination working. And that's what I love about writing uh, because it's my imagination and the reader's imagination coming together. Is it strange for you as the creator of these characters to see them sort of reinterpreted? Yeah, it's strange and surreal uh, and also um wonderful it has just made me realize that uh, i think actors are sort of similar to authors in that they bring uh little parts of themselves and people they know so that you know they bring uh, their own little gestures um they they, they create a, a new character so mm -hmm. I, that's why i think it's really important that as an author i don't think um 
it has to be a faithful adaptation or it has to be completely as I saw it in my imagination. Um, and it's just not possible um, because every single reader who reads my books has a completely different interpretation. And I know that because readers come up to me at events sometimes and they start talking about something in my book and they say something, they describe a character and I think, no, that's, you've got it. You've got it wrong and i know because i wrote it um but it's something that they've taken from their own life they've they've added to it so um so the reader does that and so does each actor um and so mm. it becomes something quite different and i love that I, I love it too i never understand when people are upset when things are different in a yeah. in an adaptation i'm like you get the story again yeah exactly and it's its own it's its own art form it's um yeah you know. new spin slightly different yeah. flavor but yeah, still the same right. thing you love yeah. yeah and in a way actually to be honest i enjoy the parts where i didn't i you know i'm proud of the parts where i love the fact that little lines from big little lies have become memes you know the um tending to your grudges like little pets i love the fact that that's <laughs> a meme and that i wrote that but i also love the some of the subplots that had, i had nothing to do with that do with because i could enjoy that as a as a viewer <laughs> um one of the things i love so much about your books and which impresses me so much about your writing generally is that you just like I, you don't stay in your lane genre wise you kind of just like hop around and do any one of your books could be described as a drama or a mystery a, a suspense they're all funny like they're all um just a little bit of everything blended in together and i i just wondered if you had to define your style um or if, if someone asks you oh I'm unfamiliar with your work somehow. I don't know where they've been living under a rock. But if someone were to say, what kind of books do you write? How would you answer that question? I've always struggled with that question. So, uh, yeah, I don't, um, yeah, and people um, have often, yeah, that's the worst thing when you're at some event and, and it comes out that I'm an author and there's that terrible line people will say where they say, should I know you? Um, <laughs> how can you possibly answer that? The answer is yes. <laughs> yes, yes you absolutely, of course, you should know me. How could you not know me? Um, <laughs> and then I don't know how to describe what what I write. I don't. I know um, with my most recent books, they've been described as thrillers, and I always think I I wish um, they weren't described as thrillers because I think thriller readers are then um, I don't think they're thrilling enough um, for, for those sort of readers. And then they become impatient because they don't want, um, they don't want to hear my characters, um, you know, especially for Joy, little stories about how she met Stan and the little asides. And I know some of my readers love, I think the readers who want a really fast paced story get impatient and say, come on, get on. Where's the, where's the exciting part? So I, so I don't, the, I don't think domestic thriller is really right, but um, and I don't think they're suspenseful enough to be described as suspense either. Um, so I don't, I, yeah. They're just a, a wonderful amalgamation <laughs> of all the good things. I'll quote that. Thank you. I'll say something. <laughs> a wonderful amalgamation. And I know some reviewers have described, um, you know, exactly what you say as a lovely compliment. I can remember some of my 
early reviews for the last anniversary in that way reviews sometimes get stuck in your head this book can't decide what it wants to be is it is it a this is it a that as if you have to stay in your in your lane um, but as you say I'm veering all over the place as long as that's not upsetting the the reader so that's which I do understand if um, that's always my that line I have to walk if I'm dealing with serious issues and then I have humor as well I don't want the reader to to feel off too off balance with that you balance those things so well and I love I love the way you weave between the lanes I think it's the greatest joy of of a, of a Leon Moriarty book is that <laughs> it's just going to be a little bit of everything and totally unexpected um, thank you thank you for allowing me to do that thank you <laughs> <laughs> yeah you have my permission yes, Leon yes, Moriarty. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's needed thank you. I, I take it <laughs> Um, we're running a little bit short on time, so um, I'll just sort of finish up by asking, are you allowed to tell us what's, what's up next for you? Is there anything that you're working on at the moment that you can talk about? No, I've got, I've got nothing. I haven't, um, I mean, yes, you can ask, but no, I have, um, I don't have an idea. Um, nothing's, no sparks or anything yet. And I do find when I'm in this um, mode of talking, Mm-hmm. Um, about myself and about that I couldn't now go, I couldn't finish talking to you and then sit down and write. I couldn't because then I'm too conscious of myself. I'm too thinking of, of you saying you move between lanes. So then I'm thinking, oh, look at me moving between lanes. <laughs> yeah, and I'm amazing. I don't own any genre. Because you can't write like that. You have, to, <laughs> um, you have to lose your sense of self and be, go into the story. So yeah. I have to stop talking about myself. And because there's also that self-loathing that comes after too much um, talking about myself, I need to get over all that and then I'll write again. It is, does seem to be a very different mode for a lot of authors. They've got publicity mode up to the lead up to a book. Yes. And then there's writing mode. Yes. Never the twain shall meet. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because you're performing as a writer rather than actually being a writer. Mm. Well, I always say, Leanne, when I have the chance to talk to you, it's a bit like getting an audience with the Queen. <laughs> I have... I very much enjoyed this audience with the Queen today. <laughs> Thank you for your time. It's a pleasure to chat with you. Oh, it's a ple- it's a, always a pleasure to talk to you, Sarah. I wish, um, yes, I wish that this was the only thing I had to do. If I only had to hear it's like talking with the Queen, then that, that could be it, couldn't it? <laughs> I'm sure everyone feels that. Done. No, they don't. I promise you they don't. They might just have a bit more cool and not say it loud. I have no cool. <laughs> No, it's it's really lovely talking with you. Thank you. Um, and for everyone watching, you can order your copy of Apples Never Fall by Leanne Moriarty, as well as all of her previously published titles at your local bookstore or online at Booktopia. Thanks for watching and never stop reading. <laughs> Thanks, sir. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, 
head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au.